Bear Essentials podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at The Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest is a former British Royal Marine. Now, he's working to develop leaders in all areas of life. He does this through his company, Doradus, and the Doradus Mindset. So please, without further ado, let's welcome Gary Banford to the show. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Thanks for joining me today. I'm, I'm really excited to finally get a chance to speak with you. Uh, pleasure to be here, Charles. Absolute pleasure. So, Gary, for my audience over here, um, I, I know, at least for me, I've been really intrigued about a lot of your background and what you're doing. Uh, maybe just a little bit of an introduction to the audience before we jump in here. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I have one. I'm Gary or, or Gaz. Uh, I'm, I, I'm a number of things right now, but I'm formerly a military man. I spent over 22 years in the military, the vast majority of that, around 16, nearly 17 years in UK Special Forces. Um, I now help mostly senior executives in the leadership space, uh, but I'm a family man. Um, I'm a husband. I'm a father to four children, so I understand the complications of balancing work, life, all of those things. And uh, yeah, I like to keep things as authentic as possible, Charles. I've got my experiences, but um, yeah, I, I love unpicking other people's problems and helping them. So very interested where this is going to go. And I'm, on, on any of those topics I've just discussed as well, I'm happy to dive as deep as you like. Awesome, Gary. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I like to start out, obviously, you know, military, because um, I, I think that a lot of that background is plays a lot into what you're doing now and your experiences from that background. Maybe if you could talk about that, were you, uh, were you always interested at a young age in going into the military? How, how'd that come about? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, so it's something that I've reflected on and this will be a key theme throughout what I talk about this, this self-reflection. So, you know, why I joined the military was, was, was an interesting one to me, at least, you know, that no, I didn't have anyone from my background in the military, no, none of my family, um, historically, um, I was looking for adventure. I was looking for excitement. I, I lived, uh, right in the center of the UK. If you put a pin in the very center of the UK, I live about two miles from there. Uh, so I couldn't live any further from the coastline if I tried. Mm. But there was just something about the water environment that always fascinated me, always. Um, swimming, et cetera. I was a competitive swimmer, active sports person growing up. So I always liked to challenge, but there was something about the military. There was a TV program when I was growing up on 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 the, around the Royal Marines, the Royal Marine Commandos. And it fascinated me. And I was like, I don't know how I get to do that, but I would love to do that. That looks a really interesting job. Um, I actually read a book when I was in my teens as well called Bravo Two Zero. Some of you listeners may be interested. It's a it's a story of a, a former SAS sergeant uh, from the first Gulf War. And my dad passed me this book actually, and which is a strange story in itself because my dad doesn't typically read. I don't know where on earth he got this book from. 
And that's definitely not the normal stuff that he reads. But he passed me this book. He said, hey, I better read this. This is really good. You should check it out. And I read it and it, and it sowed this seed of this story of uh, the SAS, which I had no idea. I'd seen things on TV growing up. I had no idea what it was. I knew I had no idea how to join. But again, it was the it was the sowing of a seed of an idea of, wow, I'd love to potentially do that. And uh, how I got there, clearly the Royal Marines was my first step. And uh, it's, it, when you say, was I always interested? Not at all. You know, I played rugby very, for a very short period of time. I played a lot of sports, but I played rugby uh, as a teenager as well and uh, got crushed real early on. And I was like, this, this isn't for me. So I, I you know, clearly as a 14, 15 year old, I wasn't ready for the kind of, the, I wasn't the grittiest or most determined of people clearly, uh, but it, it's a progress and it's a process, sorry. And uh, I think joining the military and especially getting into the Royal Marines, which for the UK at least is 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 arguably the hardest um, process for joining any infantry. Uh, and there was something definitely appealing to me to to go after trying to be the best version of myself. And that's again, a common thread. Um, the, the, the biggest goal I could see clearly was special forces, but I understood I had to get into the military and that was... For me, the, the the organization that appealed the most was the, the Royal Marines. Just on that, uh, the Royal Marines famously ran an article or an advert to try and recruit uh, people into the, the Royal Marines. And it, it, it painted a pretty disgusting picture of what basic training and life in the Royal Marines was would look like for a, a successful candidate. And it said at the bottom, 99.9% .9 of people need not apply. And it turned out to be the worst marketing campaign the Royal Marines ever did because unsurprisingly, most people didn't apply. But there were some of us, and it certainly appealed to me, there were some of us that that was actually attractive. And it was, so it's that, it's that difficulty, that challenge, that adversity is something that's always fascinated me. Uh, so no, not, not a background of people in the military, far from it. But again, happy to kick that one around some more, but really getting in was more about the challenge, the adventure, the excitement that I was looking for in my life. Living in the center of the UK, the Royal Marines were all based around the coast and on the on, on the edge of the country. So um, that was something much more interesting to me. Gary, honestly, you know what? This is what I love about these podcasts. I, I come, for me at least, I come in with a bit of an outline of things I might want to ask. And then I love listening when the when the guest starts to introduce himself because you said something there that right away I'm off off my script already that I wanted to ask you. Um, you mentioned about the rugby and how that wasn't for you and how you mentioned maybe not being gritty enough. Where's it kind of click between that age as a teenage boy and then you go from that and then you're talking about how you want to go and basically do maybe the hardest thing you can do to better yourself. Where's, was there anything there to kind of like spark that where you decided you went from one, one end to the other? Yeah. Short answer. No, um, it, it definitely isn't a click or a flick of a switch that there's not enough single event where I've gone. I need to change. Um, I, I, I distinct, it's weird, isn't it? We can reflect on our childhood. And I mentioned that because I want to try and explain to people, you know, you know, having spent nearly 20 years in UK special forces, you know, from during the busiest time in its history, that's afforded me a ton of experiences that have undoubtedly forged me. But equally, when I was a young person, I, I had no idea of what my potential was. And the story about the rugby, you know, I played rugby later on in my career. I played a bit of rugby, I represented my unit 
at rugby later on in my career and I, and I loved the the contact then um so clearly there has been this development this growth um I remember traveling back from one of the training sessions that my dad took me to um as a father myself now it's always interesting when I talk about this so he took me to rugby training and I remember just the it was freezing cold and proper cold um it was super muddy. It was wet. It was it was awful. And I came away from that training session going, oh, I don't think this is for me. And it wasn't at that time. Um, there was other things that I was trying to pursue and I was competitive in other areas. Um, but I think I reflected and I think I reflected that maybe that isn't the person I want to be that doesn't like the cold, the wet or cries a little bit about that. You know, that, that whatever whatever my dad impressed on me from that car journey home of, you know, okay, you don't have to go back against son, that's fine. There was other things clearly said that kind of made a bit more of a lasting impression. Lasting impression. Um, and ultimately we all have a potential and I, and I love to kind of improve on what my potential is. I, I love to see growth and, you know, I think the Royal Marines and volunteering for the military was a was a way for me to gather evidence myself that I had more in the tank. And the fact that it was the most challenging that I could choose, there's, you know, my home regiment was called the Staffordshire Regiment. You know, I, I could have still lived at home um, or come home at least at weekends. Uh, it would have been a much easier process to get into the army through that way. However, that wasn't challenging enough. It felt like that was a bit of an easy option and, and I'm mm. not the sort of person that, I know that the 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 best um, the best growth or the 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 best experiences don't come from the easiest of options. The, the business that I own now, Duratus, it, it means it's Latin to endure. That's exactly what it means. You know, like life is 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 constantly about challenging yourself, or life will challenge you anyway, whether you like it or not. Right? The waves are going to keep coming, and so we have to learn how to develop, to endure, to grow, to to overcome. So. You know, no, I don't think there was something. I talk all the time about experiences times a thousand equals experienced. Mm. There's no shortcut to experienced. We we can't read about other people's experiences and become more experienced ourselves. We can we can reflect and think how that applies to us, but we only learn and get true experience by taking action. And and I think for me, joining the military was this evidence that I needed myself to say, actually, you you know, this was me changing from a boy into a man. I was 18 years old. I, I thought I knew everything, but I knew nothing. Right? You know, I say in my mid-40s now, um, as a teenager, I thought I had the world worked out, but that certainly wasn't the case. I'm not sure I still do, to be fair. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, I feel, yeah, we all, I think we all thought we had it figured out when we were that age. At least I, I thought I did, and I agree with you. I, I'm I'm in my 50s now, and I still... I still don't have it figured out. So um, another thing that you mentioned that uh, I just, interestingly enough, I just heard this similar statement a few weeks ago during a podcast, and I was really intrigued by it. And you mentioned it again about gathering evidence. I, I at least personally, you know, along my own journey through things that I've endured, I never really never really thought of it that way about gathering evidence. Um, but I think it's a really, really good way for people to, to look at it and to kind of, you know, give themselves the, what they need that kind of stands them up basically. So, so when did you start to think about that and realize that in order for you to become better, 
you almost had to prove things to yourself and gather real, real evidence to show that you could do something. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, again, life's a constant, a constant lesson, isn't it? I, I think the Royal Marines for me, again, my formative years as a man, certainly, they, they, they do a fantastic job of impressing onto you their values. Uh, they, they call it a number of things. One of the things is the commando ethos. And things like courage, determination, uh, there'll be no surprises at those kind of things. In that you don't join the Marines feeling particularly courageous. You don't join the Marines feeling like the most determined person on the planet. In fact, you look around when you first join and you feel completely um, behind the curve with everybody else, or certainly I did. Again, only being 18 myself. But clearly taking those small steps, like getting on a train from the Midlands in the middle of the UK and traveling five hours away from home, leaving home really for the first time at 18, away from my parents, that safe house that I've always had, uh, that comfortable environment into the unknown. That is a courageous step when you think about it, but it's one step. And then the next day is the next step. And there's just this sequence of thousands of steps that um, you need to make. That, and I think out the back of Royal Marines training, which is the longest infantry training in the world. It's it's 32 weeks long now, um, I believe. It was it was 30 weeks in my day, but um, it, it's 32 at least 32 weeks now. And they turn men into soldiers, men into warriors. They do a great job of that, but they impress their values into you, literally, literally impress these. And one of them is this cheerfulness in the face of adversity. One of their characteristics of uh, or the, the ethos of the, the Royal Marines and like cheerfulness in the face of adversity, what does that mean? Well, it means, well, you know, you've got to learn what that looks like. You've got to face adversity to understand how you can possibly find uh, cheerfulness in the face of it, right? And so they do a fantastic job of giving you real big, crunchy challenges that suck big style. And you find a way of navigating that. You learn to navigate that. And I guess me finishing as a Royal Marine, having a career in the Royal Marines, every single opportunity, there was experiences that I was building my own evidence. So I don't know if there was a moment that I was like, oh, I need to be more um, reflective or look look back. I don't think I, I don't think most people do that well as a young person. I think this is something, you know, in my more senior years that I've learned to, that, you know, and, and I've reflected again as a, as a coach to some, as a mentor to others, that I've needed to look inwardly and introspectively and go, well, what are the things that served me best? And it's then that I've really recognized these incremental steps and now help other people to, to, to kind of make that path for themselves in whatever it is that they're choosing to do. So I don't know if there was a moment, but again, um, it, it's definitely recognizing the evidence that we have from the experiences that we've had that that, that truly um you know help us to understand where we've come from so gary along the way as you're building that evidence in the royal marines was there any point during your military career that you really had to kind of lean on that evidence in order to get through a difficult situation yeah i mean i mean most days uh to be perfectly honest and so i only spent six years in the royal marines um there was, there was, as I'm sure you're aware, um, where you were when the Twin Towers attack happened, Charles. You know, I, I was in the Royal Marines at the time, and we were actually the next day were due to fly to the States for some cross-training with the USMC. But that event changed things for me. It was 2001. <clears throat> I, was, I was in a unit that um, I, I, I didn't believe was going to be able to help that problem. And that, for me, would have lit a fire in my belly 
And I was like, I've, I've got to do something about that to help that terrorist uh, problem. Now, as ridiculous as this sounds, even saying it out loud now, you know, with world events and the way things have unfolded, the only way that I could see to help that problem was to volunteer for special forces. And I'd, I'd only ever heard horror stories from the special forces selection process. So in, in the UK, the SAS and the SBS, special air service and special boat service go through the same selection pipeline. Um, the only, I'd only ever heard horror stories from people that have been un unsuccessful, but the fire inside my belly was still enough to, for me to volunteer to go and uh, go down that route. Um, and, you know, 95% of people are unsuccessful in that process. Trained soldiers are unsuccessful. Um, and I was one of the, there was 200 people that started. There was only um, 14 of us that passed uh, at the end. And, you know, I, I got through, but then that career from 2003, when I went on selection and passed right up until I finished at the end of 2019, you know, every single day, week, there was challenges that I had to face where I had to question why I was there, what my purpose was and what we were trying to achieve both individually and collectively. So, you know, this is this, you know, what I said earlier about these experiences times a thousand, you know, we, we have to reflect on the experiences that we have. We have to learn from those experiences. I think that's where wisdom comes from. We can't just have experiences and just keep falling over the same thing. That's that's not the, the best idea. We've got to learn from those experiences and that takes self-reflection. Um, I talk about three self-skills uh, all the time with, with clients that I work with. And that's first self-skill is self-awareness. The second self-skill is self-regulation. And the third self-skill is um, self-reflection. So self-awareness, self-regulation and self-reflection. And that self-reflection pillar, it's its critical for our learning and, our, and creating wisdom out of those experiences. So, um, yeah, there, there, there was no, again, lots of times, we, and again, happy to go a bit deeper on that, that I, I really had to question why I was there. You know, we spent many years in, in on operations and, and in fierce combat. And, of course, you question your life, your life decisions when you're fearing for your life. You absolutely question that. However... Um, Again, the purpose for me was always there until the point that it wasn't, and you know that's that's subsequently uh, towards the end of my career, uh, what why I decided to to end my career in the military and, and and move on to other things. So, Gary, on that on that note, as you start to get into it a little bit of your life after the military, I guess one last thing I want to ask is, obviously, from you know everything I've seen and learned about you, leadership is a big a big thing. Was that leadership, were you starting to cultivate that in your military career? Were you leading leading men in the military? Or was it something you just kind of start to gravitate to and and did after the military? No, it was, yeah, I was a, I was a senior leader in the military, um, 20, over 20 years in the military and leading at various different levels. I finished as, in the UK, it's called a sergeant major. Uh, which probably means nothing to most of your audience and I wouldn't expect it to, but it, uh, it, it, in charge of maybe between 50 and 200 people, depending on the department. So no, that was the end of my career. I was in charge of people. Um, but interestingly, and this is one thing I realized when I, I first joined Special Forces, at the Royal Marines, I went through some leadership training in the Royal Marines, for sure, in that six years. Um, and and this is one thing that I've come to learn. The, the military does a great job of training its leaders, taking focused time out of day-to-day -day business to literally train its people to be leaders, some focused time. I spent many, many months 
on leadership training courses where I got education, sat down in classrooms, learning about leadership. We got uh, experiential training and clearly we had the experiences on operations where we got put this point into put this stuff into practice. Um, so no, clearly my career had these uh, learnings, but when I joined special forces from day one, we were expected to take on leadership responsibility. So where do you start learning leadership? Well, right now, you know, you, you start with leading yourself and these organizations that I'm talking about have, have high standards and these high standards, these values, they're policed within the organization. And to meet those standards, you have to be self-disciplined. We talk about discipline all the time. The military, the Royal Marines talk about discipline. They do a great job of disciplining its people. Special forces don't want to be disciplining its people. They want people to be self-disciplined, the person to volunteer. And as a leader, we have to be self-disciplined and focusing on how we can develop ourselves. And that's taking opportunities. It's recognizing courageous conversations that we need to have. It's recognizing there's going to be challenges and we might not know Know all the answers but we, we walk towards the problem anyway that is leadership responsibility so special forces absolutely as a culture within the organization um fostered this this sense of uh, leadership and and i progressed through those ranks clearly there was hundreds if not thousands of opportunities to learn from which which helped me um towards the end of my career in the military one of the roles that i was asked to fulfill was uh head of recruitment for my organization at the time, the special boat service. And again, I had to introspectively work out what it, what, how I got there and how we could try and attract these, uh, these new inflow. Um, and our main competitor at the time was the SAS, the special air service, as I'm sure you can aware everyone in the military knows who the SAS are. Not everyone in the military knows who the special boat service are. Uh, and like the Navy seals and, and, and Delta, it's the equivalents that mm. way. And, um, but in the UK, no one's, not a lot of people have heard of the special boat service. So when your competitor is the SES, it's tough competition, but we got great success through a number of ways. Uh, and that was building relationships and trust with the people that were volunteering and uh, helping in the ways that we could for them to have a su success on the selection process to the point where my last job in the military was to oversee recruitment for the whole group, uh, SAS and SPS. And, you know, that was a meeting of minds and we were, you know, trying yeah. to bring people together, but also, um, it really helped me to understand, to forge the idea really, uh, that galvanized the idea that I needed to coach, I needed to mentor, I needed to be different things for people, for aspirants into those organizations. Some people would do it themselves and that's amazing, but a lot of people, they need a bit of assistance. I'd always had, always had coaches and mentors in my career. They, they often didn't describe themselves as a coach or a mentor, but I had them and I, I, I was watching other people i was learning from other people and so we filled that role and and towards the end of my uh, career i realized i was getting much more fulfillment from contributing to other people's successes than necessarily my own i loved it i i i i found so much fulfillment in that job that i realized maybe that my next chapter could be around creating an organization that can contribute to others in that way and what is it that i've got to offer and i, I went around the houses i've tried a lot of things uh, since leaving and, and we found a real sweet spot with uh, with leadership. It's something that I'm not going to say comes natural to me, far from it. It's something I've learned um, and been lucky enough to learn from. And in fact, one of my colleagues in the business, in Doratus uh, UK, we, we, we sat down and we reflected on our leadership training in the military. And if you Google leadership 
into uh, if you were into Google clearly, uh, you know, in 0.5 seconds, you'll get 8 billion articles thrown your way. It's like trying to put your lips around a fire hydrant, trying to drink from that. And it's impossible to, to be the expert on such a vast topic that is always more inf information coming out on. So we sat down and reflected on what it was, the key things, the key principles that we learned. And we, we broke it down again to try and simplify it into three simple pillars. So authenticity, accountability, and communication. And we're convinced that most areas of leadership um, fall into one of those three pillars. And we've got to simplify this because it, it is a vastly overspoken about topic, but ultimately there's some real foundational stuff. And holding ourselves accountable, that might be to yourself, like I mentioned earlier, it might be to your family, it might be to your team or organization. Um, that's critical as a leader. Like it's not about you, it's about everybody else. But ultimately, all you can control is what you do and be in that role model and holding yourself accountable to these high standards that you're, you set yourself or as an organization are set for you. That, that That's ultimately what we have to be. And we have, we've got to have something to aim at. We've got to, we've got to stretch ourselves to something high and hard and uh, high, and hard stand, high and hard standards are, are something worthy to, to reach for. So uh, no leadership's always been something that um, uh, my old organizations fostered within us and encouraged us to develop. And it is a process. It is a process that you can develop. I'm, I'm convinced by it. All right. So you, man, you said so much that now, now you got my mind racing. It's such great stuff. Um, so obviously I want to talk about Doradus, you know, that um, question that just comes from what you just stated that I really wanted to get your opinion on yeah. is it's kind of opinion I have, I'm curious to hear your take. I almost feel like you mentioned about how the military is doing such a great job of instilling leadership and building leaders. I, I feel like a lot that I've witnessed throughout my life, my career in organizations, unfortunately, what I see is almost an epidemic where I feel like we're, we're trying to create managers of people, but not leaders of people. I mean, I, I think it is. I think it's a problem. I, do you kind of have you noticed that in in what you've been doing? Um, yes, I would say yes and no. Um, I think people get wrapped around the axles of the terminology, and there's a lot of stuff out there about the difference between a leader and a manager. I think we can easily get um, confused by it and and understanding what people mean by leader versus what people mean by manager of people. You know, again organizations as they become more complex you know groups of people are the most complex thing on the planet ultimately um, and so they need some coordination they need some management the military had line managers they absolutely did um, and everybody isn't the gold standard leader far from it nobody is but um, leadership and management there, there's nuances but ultimately I, I don't think it's worth uh, getting wrapped around the axles people will gravitate towards the right people and they'll recognize when somebody is a a person a man manager and that they're maybe not and this is where we talk about authenticity a lot you know we as human beings we're intrinsically wired we're designed to for our own safety to recognize people we can trust and when people are being inauthentic they're wearing a mask in fact the the greeks the word hypocrite comes from uh, actors that used to wear great big masks as part of the show that's where the word hypocrite comes from, because people are hiding behind a mask. They're, they're being something they think they've got to be, 
rather than being their authentic self. And as human beings, we are so hardwired to recognize the person that is being authentic and we don't, we don't trust it. And so we have to lower that mask. We have to demonstrate vulnerability. We have to speak and communicate with our teams to say, hey, I've not got the answers here. In my old world, we didn't have the answers. We were thrown into arguably some of the world's most complex problems. We might have a hostage on the other side of the world. Nobody else is going to save them. So us as a group of people, we had to come up with the best plan we could to go and resolve that. It was problematic. And we, we never had the gold standard solution. So we had to go into problems just authentically being honest and going like, this is our best guess as to how to solve this situation with what we know now. And this is what we're going to, and the, the plan might evolve. We need to communicate that this isn't the finished article. As we get more information, we are prepared to adapt. The world will keep throwing problems our way. We need to be able to adapt and to be uh, understanding that uh, adaption is, is a strength of uh, the human race. And it's something we've, we've done for millennia, but it seems to me that now people, they want to get so, well, this is how we've always done it. And, and that's where problems lie. Uh, and if, if people are wearing a mask that they put on for other people to show that they know what they're doing, then, then we recognize that so clearly as humans. And that's, that's problematic. Yeah, and Gary, I think something else you said too, you, you mentioned kind of as pillars about authenticity being a pillar you also mentioned a little further back about the self, self-reflection, self-regulation, self-awareness. I, I start to think about it as you were talking through it. To me, it, do you, not to me, I, I'm curious on your opinion of what you see. Do you think that kind of the self-reflection and authenticity kind of go together in this way? Do you think there's times where if you do an honest self-reflection and you, and you are being authentic to yourself, does is maybe the answer i'm not a leader um again it comes down to what your definition of leader is you know i think we've all got leadership attributes we've all got leadership strengths we've all got the ability the potential to to lead it's not a uh, we're not either made or not made uh born or made um sometimes the answer from those reflections will be I've not got the skills that I need for this situation and I need to go and upskill myself. The reflection will be that in that moment that you underperformed as a leader, absolutely. And there's things that you can develop. Maybe that's to develop your communication skills. You told someone to do something, they didn't do it. It's like, that's on you, right? So, so why didn't they do it? Go and understand the problem. Why is it that they don't trust your decision? Why is it that you the way you communicated that didn't help them to find the motivation that they needed? Then the self-reflection puts the onus on you to reflect and we can always upskill ourselves. Co communication again is the third pillar. It's an unending skill that we can have. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're communicating now over digital means. We've all had to develop to that. I now talk with my hands by my head when I'm on screen, right? Uh, if I did that in person, you'd think I was weird. You know <laughs> what I mean? But, but to, to, to communicate, we, 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 we have to adapt to the, the situation that we're in. And so, no, I think it's an endless game. And so communication and how we are and we are and how we act as a leader is is on us and we can all develop that if we want to. I, I do know people in the military from a former organization that were just happy being the door kicker. That's fine. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't judge, you know, um, my feelings are as you become more experienced, you you gain some wisdom from those experiences. The greatest way to contribute to your organization is to is to step up and it's to step into those difficult, more challenging roles where 
you know, if you're looking around and you're thinking who should be the person who's, who's more experienced than I in this situation, um, and, and there isn't anybody, then you should be the person that's, that's leading that, that team. And, and I think that's just something that's been developed inside my old organization. And, and it comes with challenges. Don't get me wrong. I don't always feel like the person that should be taking charge, but, um, but this is leadership. It's a difficult, it's a difficult, um, role. No one said it was going to be easy. Yeah, and you used a term there that I liked, and I think it jumps real nicely into into this when you said upskill. So, for for you and you and, and Doradus, how how do you help people upskill to get to where they need to be as far as leaders? Yeah, it's a great question. So, we we first we uh, uh, I'm not going to profess to be the world's greatest philosopher, but Socrates famously said, uh, "Know thyself." And we've got to help people to first self-awareness. We've got to know ourselves. And so we deep dive on what their needs are. So most people are coming to us with um, a feeling that they need to be better in certain areas. So we, we do a needs analysis on where their strengths are, helping people to identify their strengths. People work so much better to their strengths. We help them to understand where they could grow, where they, they, they need to grow for their organization, et cetera, or their feeling. So we do a needs analysis. We then build structure around how to develop them in that partic those particular areas. Um, we also, with the business, we have a, a collaborative environment. It's called, it's called the inner circle where there's lots of like-minded leaders with similar problems. We all, we've got a bit of a community going and uh, the learnings that happen inside there are incredible because I get the perspectives of speaking to a number of people every single day, hundreds of people a year that have very similar issues, but often as men, we don't talk about this well. And um, it's only when you get to hear it from other senior leaders that you realize, oh, that's the same problem that I was facing, or, or actually I can help them because I've faced this before. And so we've got a, 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 an inner circle that is a, a collaborative environment. And then fortnightly, we, we bring people in to guest speak and former, former senior leaders from all kinds of organizations, my old organization, but business leaders, et cetera. So we can learn from one another because it's an endless game for me too. I don't ever come at it from a space of, like I said earlier, that I've got all the answers or my team of coaches have got all the answers. Far from it. We uh, we know we're humble enough to know that we all need to keep learning. And so we've created an environment where we continue to learn and and be be the rising tide ultimately that, that lifts all boats. And, and, you know, that's like one of our mantras, to be fair, with, with how we help people because uh, we can all help each other because the, the problem set, the situation, the environment that we're all looking down the barrel of is is the most complex it's ever been. And mm. so why should we have the answers? Uh, but we need to come at these problems with cognitive diversity and collaboration. And, and that's how we help people. So we need analysis. We we help them develop scaffolding around the problems that are there, their, their needs that they need to develop. We've got a collaborative environment to, to encourage them to help with their motivation, to compare notes and contrast. So peer-to-peer -peer learning, um, so we've got lots of ways. Um, we've got a bank of online courses, et cetera, that people can 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 dip into as well to to help them on particular areas. So yeah, we've got a number of ways, uh, and I think that's key. No, no one person is going to have the same needs, and so we we've got to come at it from different angles that that suit their needs. So again, that's as a an, an adaptable and flexible coach, we we can do that. Yeah, Gary, it sounds fantastic. I think the work you're doing is it, it's really needed. Um, I know, you know, I've been in leadership myself for a while now, and 
you know, right before we even started, I was telling you yesterday, I was kind of at my own wits end, you know? So I think it's definitely a need that's out there for, you know, for first for people to be able to lead themselves, their families, and then outside of their, their own homes. So um, I'm appreciative of, of people like you and the, and the work you do. So um, I wanted to end with this as far as, um, and I know it's not kind of a one size fits all, but you know, the, the kind of elevator pitch, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, how to you in your mind, what makes the, I don't want to say perfect leader, but the, the leader you would gravitate to the most for you. Yeah. So I've asked this question of, of my cohorts a number of times, and, I, and I'm pretty clear myself in what it is to me. So the, the greatest leaders that I've ever known uh, personally, but then also read about are people, people that it's not about them. So the greatest leaders are, don't make it about them. Anyone that is making it about them already is flawed as a leader. It's got to be about something bigger. And the best leaders that I've ever had the experience of, or, or like I said, read about, are the ones that, that truly care about their people and make their people feel cared for. Again, not being, I need to demonstrate that I care for my people. No, that's not right. It's genuinely caring for them people. And how do you do that? Well, you get to know your people. You get to know your team. You, you, you genuinely, as human beings, we're hardwired again to care for people that we trust, a relationship, the closest members of our group. So get to know your people and and make those steps towards uh, truly understanding them and, and making them feel well looked after. For me, a leader is someone that um, cares for its people, first and foremost. Yeah, I think that sums it up. That's that's fantastic. So, so Gary, real quick, I wanted to let where where can people uh, get a hold of you, find you, your courses, things like that. Yeah, great. So, DuratusUK.com. That's D-U-R-A-T-U-S-U-K.com, or Gary Bamford on LinkedIn. Um, so it's Gary with two R's and Bamford B-A-N-F-O-R-D. Uh, so on LinkedIn, reach out. More than happy to connect. Um, I'm always up for interesting conversations with like-minded individuals. So yeah, let me know if there's any way I can help or you think I'd be uh, able to help your teams equally. I'm more than happy to get involved. Fantastic, Gary. Well, Gary, again, I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with me today. Um, I think, you know, I think the audience is going to find this beneficial. I know I told you somewhat selfishly, I found this extremely beneficial. So, so thank you for that. And as always, I thank everyone for tuning in and, and watching and for all the support. So Gary, have a great day. Thank you again. And for everyone else, thanks for tuning in. Take care. Charles, Bye. Charles, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Gary. This Take has care. been the Bear Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals.